strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast yet, please do it. It's very simple to do on any device. Never miss a minute in the show. Listen at your convenience. This week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by King Lasig and K2 Vision RLE, the best vision for the Valley. Schedule your virtual consult at kingk2vision.com. I uh, got to shift to the border issues. Uh, the governor, uh, we just talked with Gatos a few minutes ago, and this was part of what we talked about in the uh, in the big queue this morning. Is uh, Governor Ducey announced Wednesday the border wall gaps in the state are, fill- are filled in near Yuma? Uh, this is temporary work as we wait for the c- further construction to finish. I don't know that there are many people that still believe nothing needs to be done. Um, a lot of this stuff, depending on where you are politically, you call it either a brilliant idea or you call it just a political ploy that's going to do very little. And I would say um, that in this case, it was necessary. One of those stories, one of the headlines uh, this morning is that um, we have seen a decrease in traffic in the Tucson sector of the border, but we have seen an increase in traffic in the Yuma sector of the border. One of the things that uh, that goes unnoticed, and I think many people just be, you think when you think criminal, you don't think smart. And I will tell you that that's not true. These cartels are very sophisticated. They are very coordinated. You're talking about millions and millions of dollars. And so these are coordinated efforts. And so when there is intelligence and when you speak with people, law enforcement from the border, um, Pinal County up when they border the Tohono Odom Nation. Or you talk with other border sheriffs down at the southern in southern Arizona, uh, or the border strike force. One of the things they will tell you is about the intelligence gathering sophistication of the cartels. That it is an eerie feeling for local law enforcement or statewide law enforcement to be on the American side of the border and listening to radio traffic where they specifically are being spoken about. That their locations are being reported from spies and lookouts on top of the hills. They know where local law enforcement is. They know where federal law enforcement is, and they navigate their people around that. So it is. this is not a guessing game for the cartels. So when the federal government, it's like that game of whack-a-mole. When the federal government says more people down to, uh, to Nogales or down to the Tucson sector, they shift them to the Yuma sector. When Texas was flooded with uh, CBP agents and ICE agents, they move them into Arizona to come in to cross the border. So this is a game of cat and mouse that continues, and there is not a simple solution. It is going to be a much bigger solution to this problem. But I think that anything we can do is necessary. The fact that the state has to pay for this is where the problem lies. This is a federal issue. There are many people, uh, you know, especially the further south you go in Arizona and Texas, it is not a partisan issue. It is an issue of incredible importance, and it is it is devastating. Here is – this is one of the sad stories. The story of one migrant's death in Arizona borderlands and the complicated effort to find him. The United Nations logged more than 700 deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border last year. It's the highest annual number since the agency began recording in 2014 and made the border the deadliest land crossing in the world for that year. Border-wide this year is on pace to meet that record. That's just the first paragraph of that story. Um, I love to talk about political differences. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but we have to decide and I, um, we have to decide what's best for everyone and start moving in a path in that direction. Um, 
I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. You know, I'm a football fan in general, but I'm a homer for the for the professional teams in Arizona. I've been here 27 and a half years, and I am a fan of all of the of the professional sports teams here in Arizona. Uh, but I also want the league to be successful. That when something isn't working league wide, it's not just about your team; it's about everybody that's involved. What's happening at our southern border is a blight on the American society. We are allowing things to happen that goes against everything we believe in. When we see the human trafficking, that part of it just starting, if we did nothing else but focus on the human trafficking aspect of what's happening at the southern border, and I mean really focused on it, if if media outlets just told the raw story of what's happening, the fact that uh, women, when they cross our southern border, when they're brought in by the coyotes, when they're brought in illegally, every single woman expects to be sexually assaulted. One of the things they carry with them is the morning after pill. In many cases, they carry multiple multiple doses with them because they are worried about sexual assault multiple times on the journey. Just that alone. When you talk about young men being forced into the gangs and the drug trades and young women, even worse, forced into prostitution and sex slavery, um, we are we are creating a generation of an underclass and slaves. That is what we are allowing. And we have to take responsibility when you allow that to happen, when you are facilitating that happening. And um, that is that's a I know it's a dumb analogy, but you know that if um, if you are let's say you work at a grocery store, you're a, you work at a convenience store. If an adult comes in to buy liquor and you know that that adult is buying it for an underage drinker, you get in trouble for selling it to the adult. There's a sense of responsibility in our society that says if you're taking part in an activity that's detrimental, then you have a sense of responsibility. If you know, if you see some kid in a parking lot hand a guy 10 bucks and say, will you buy me a six-pack of beer like a lot of teenagers do, and you sell that adult that six-pack of beer, you're in as much trouble as the adult is. And we do that to say to people, we've got to look out for the kids. We have to look out for them. You can't be a part of what you know is an illegal activity and say, I didn't do it. I sold it to the adult. I know it's a dumb analogy, but here we are as a society watching what's happening at our southern border, watching it be overrun with the cartels. We have violence spilling over into the U.S., and we are doing nothing as a society. We are watching young men and young women have their lives irreparably changed into the drug trade, into the sex trade, and we're doing nothing. We are doing nothing. There's a laundry list of horrors that are going on at the southern border, deaths and near deaths and separation of families and years and years of slavery that may not involve sexual slavery or drugs, but where you're not able to pay your debts back and second-class citizenship, all of these things are happening and they're going unchecked. They are going unchanged. They are going unfixed. And if we would just focus on what's down there, the reality of what's there, the American people would demand changes. It would come from both parties. You know, let's face it, Democratic voters, Republicans don't care what you think. You're not voting for them anyway. And it goes the other way around. Democrats don't care what I think. You think that there's a Democrat out there that cares what I'm saying? They don't care what I'm saying at all. They care what the Democrats are saying because those are the votes they need. That's where the electorate has to get together and say right is right, wrong is wrong, and we're going to call it out for being wrong. Even if we have a different way of getting to a solution, we have to acknowledge how bad it is and that something needs to be done. That's step one, and I don't know that it's going to happen. Coming up in a moment, the possibility of maybe... 
turning a new page, never going to be over, but turning a new page in Uvalde. I'll tell you why that's a big story coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A a very sad chapter in uh, Uvalde, Texas, involving the death of so many young lives. It it is the ending of those lives is such a tragic thing. Um, The the insult to injury here, the salt in the wounds is the lack of of protection from the police department that was sworn to protect those people. Um, I've had many conversations with law enforcement officers, and one of the interesting things about law enforcement, as you would guess, is that they are very um, slow to criticize someone else, knowing that when you are in a position, um, it's difficult to second you second guess someone else. You don't want a Monday morning quarterback someone else. But there were a lot of law enforcement officials that I know, people that have been in law enforcement for a very long time and not just a part of understanding policies and procedures, but being involved in the development of those policies and procedures. There was a lack of understanding of how this all happened and why the police officers didn't act and didn't do what their job mandated that they do. So it's finally come to an end in some regard. It'll never be over. But uh, I want you to hear um, the motion being passed of the, the, the to unanimously decide to fire the police chief. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all in favor? Motion passes unanimously. So this is part of an ABC News report on that topic. Before the vote, angry community members said his response to the active shooter was too slow and that the board had not acted fast enough to fire him. Three months. Too long for justice. Arredondo did not attend, citing his safety since he wasn't allowed to carry a weapon into the meeting. He is threatening to sue. Um... This is my, my where I don't understand people in general. If if I were that police chief, I would be begging for forgiveness and hanging my head in shame uh, that I didn't do my job. And what he didn't do, he was ill prepared for that day. He showed up without a radio. Um, they didn't have some of the equipment they needed. There was a lot of things that happened that should have been done, and this is where the preparedness happens. Um, and it's led to a lot of other incidents here, El Mirage Elementary School, where there was a lockdown situation where parents were notified, and then they showed up on campus, and they tried to get into the school because they didn't trust law enforcement. And law enforcement here in town has made has made a resounding statement in saying, we are not Uvalde. That isn't to insult every single law enforcement enforcement officer in Uvalde, Texas. It is, we are better prepared than that. And that is why I talked with Sheriff Paul Penzone about it. I talked with other law enforcement officials about it. It is, you train and you train and you train and you train, hoping that you will never need to use your training. But when a critical incident happens, your training kicks in. I'll give you a couple of examples briefly, um, and they involve officer-involved shootings, and there have been tragically a lot of them in Phoenix in recent months. But a couple of them um, where a police officer was being lured into a home uh, under the guise that somebody was injured on the inside by a, by a, uh, a home invader, when in, when in truth it was the man at the door that was inviting the officer in that was waiting to shoot this officer in the head. His training kicked in. Now, he was severely injured, and there were eight other officers 
later on down the road, three others wounded by gunfire and five others, I believe, that were just injured in all of the activity. Um, but that training kicked in and he was able to avoid death and he was able to protect himself a little bit. There is uh, the officer that was um, – investigating in the Phoenix Police Department, investigating a domestic violence situation in a parking lot where she was ambushed and shot by a suspect. Um, And the partner, her partner was able to return fire and they were able to severely wound the suspect who was captured a couple of days later. And last but not least in Phoenix, there was an officer who was by herself working undercover on drug, or I'm sorry, on gun crimes, where she saw uh, some people that looked suspicious. She was undercover, so she was in plain clothes. And as these suspects uh, ent- exited their vehicle, she saw guns and saw the danger and was able to get her bulletproof vest on and save her own life by not taking gunfire to to uh, to uh, vital organs. Um, the preparedness is one thing. Then there's got to be a willingness. And I would say, I would guess that the cops on scene in Uvalde were willing. The problem is who gives the orders and um, who follows the orders. And chain of command matters in law enforcement, in the military. You've got to obey the chain of command, but you're also taught to think like an individual. You know, one of the one of the general orders um, in the military is says that you will follow, you will obey lawful orders. But it also is you, that you're trained that you don't obey unlawful orders, and you have to know the difference. And um, hopefully what's happened in Uvalde, Texas is sending messages. If there is any kind of a possibility of a slight silver lining on this horribly dark cloud, it's that there needs to be a better plan in place everywhere, that no plan is good enough ever. It can always get better. Uh, when I talked with Sheriff Penzone here in Maricopa County, he said he had that conversation with his command staff about communication because everybody, I would say even law enforcement on the scene that day at in El Mirage understood why those parents were acting the way they were, not condoning it. They had to make some arrests. One person was tased, but Making sure that there is a plan in place to when a parent gets a notification like that, they know what their role is that's going to bring this to the best conclusion. They know what their role is. Law enforcement understands their role, and both sides are going to do their jobs and trust the other to do their jobs. And that, if that silver lining is better communication and better training even further uh, than it was before, then that's what this is. But for the people of Uvalde, Texas, to be able to begin the process of moving forward, to be able to never put this behind them, it's never going to be behind them, but to deal with it appropriately and move forward in a way that is um, – a tribute to the lives that were lost and never forgetting their memory, but also moving forward with what is best for their town and an example for the rest of the country. And so hopefully this puts a, a period at the end of this chapter as we begin to look forward and moving into the next chapter of what happens in law enforcement in Uvalde, Texas, and for that community that suffered such great loss. Uh, coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about student loan forgiveness. We'll go back to that topic. Uh, we're going to do that coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, you can win tickets to see Dave Ramsey, Rachel Cruz, and more build wealth in live in Phoenix on September 12th and 13th. And one lucky winner is going to win meet and greet tickets. You can head over to the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details and your chance to win. Uh, back to the topic of student loan forgiveness. Uh, let's start things off by listening to the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, and her description of this, her back and forth with Peter Ducey. And as I said earlier, the job of the press secretary for the White House is to put a positive spin on any stance the White House takes. I don't begrudge that in her. But I want you to, I want to hear if people agree with this assessment of the Biden administration. If you look at what this president has done, uh, if you look at the end of this, this coming end, uh, end of the fiscal year, $1.7 trillion that we have deduced, uh, brought down uh, the deficit. That matters. That matters. And if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, it's going to ha- add another $300 billion is going to uh, uh, bring down the deficit again. Does anybody believe that? I mean, I, I, maybe you do. Um, but if you say to somebody, look what we did, we reduced our bills here. So if we spend a bunch of money over here, it's not a big deal. That's pro- that's kind of what they're saying. Um, and this is um, this. She goes on now to talk about um the spending on all of this, what it's going to cost for this debt reduction. What we are trying to do here, we are doing this responsibly. Uh, you heard directly from the president. Uh, this is something that is going to be important for middle class Americans. When you think about 90 percent of the folks who are uh, who are going to actually benefit from this are making $75,000 or less. And you think about what Republicans did just a couple of years ago. Uh, they, they signed off on a Two trillion dollar, uh, three trillion dollar tax cut for the wealthy, and did not provide any way to pay for that. Okay, um, once again, a tax cut is the government taking less from you. What they've done here is they have shifted debt from one group of American citizens to another group of American citizens. That's what they've done. Um, we can have semantical arguments all day long. The principle is if you go on – and this we, – we are supposed to be training our children to be responsible adults. And we understand what we went through. How many of us – I'm 55 years old. I, I got to be honest. I still don't think I'm a responsible adult in many ways. You know, I, I think that if I could tell kids, high school kids, anything that was going to really shock them when they get older is that you don't necessarily feel any smarter when you get older, um, that you still feel like the same kid you were in high school wondering what's going to happen next. Um but we want children to make wise decisions as they become adults. We have there is a sense of responsibility. There are things that they have to um, they have to pay a price for, and uh, one of them, a lot of it involves credit. I did it. I know many other people did it. You get a credit card when you are first building credit as a young person. It's got huge interest attached to it, and you overrun it, and you end up paying huge amounts of money for it. My problem here is it sends so many mixed messages, and maybe people think I'm misinterpreting it. I, you, I was listening to uh, to the report here earlier with Griselda Satino and talking about how the mixed uh, emotions from people. It's not my responsibility to pay your debt. If if college tuition is too high, go work with colleges on how much they're charging for classes. Uh, go talk with them like you did. You sat down with oil companies and you made demands and demonized – 
You demonized the, the, the private sector in saying that they are profiteering. I mentioned earlier there's a guy named Fetterman that is running for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania – and he wants to arrest the CEOs of oil companies and food manufacturers for price gouging the American people. What about academia? Look at – we've had huge conversations in Arizona about how quickly tuition has gone up across the state of Arizona, our state grant, land-grant universities. Um, and, and that this is a big issue in what people are paying for a college education. There is also something called return on investment, and that's something that everyone has to look at. Um, for, for a business owner, if you're going to buy a new piece of equipment, you want to know how that piece of equipment is going to make you do your job more efficiently or do it better or more profitably. Or you're not going to buy it. Then it's just superficial. It, it, it serves no purpose. And the same thing happens when you're going to get an education. Um, I took classes specifically in my trade. When I was, when I was, I became a journeyman electrician. I took journeyman electrician classes. I took classes to learn the book work, to pass the exams so that my bosses knew I could do the calculations and I could run work and I was qualified. I paid for those classes because I knew being a certified journeyman electrician was going to benefit me in my career. I paid for it. It was nothing like college tuition, but if you're someone that's looking at looking at the rest of your life and you're saying, all right, I could go do this and I could go to school for this long. Here's what my debt is going to be. And then this is the prospect of what those jobs are paying when I get out. And if it doesn't fit, then don't do it. Go do something else. No one is forcing you into a college classroom. But the idea – and this is always the victimization of things. And Karine Jean-Pierre talks about it's always rich versus poor. And No, it's a, we're Americans. There is no way that I should have to pay somebody else's debt. I shouldn't. You know, I, I didn't go to college. I came up through the trades. I made my own way. And listen, I'm I, I don't – I'm not proud of myself for a whole lot. I'll be honest with you. I, I've, I've wrestled with always feeling like I was a classic underachiever for most of my life. Um, but I worked hard. You know, I for an 18-year-old kid that barely had a high school diploma in my entire adult life, I have never been without a job unless I chose not to have one. I took a month off before I came here to this radio station. I took a month off for personal reasons, a contract reasons. And I will tell you that I did that and it was the first time I'd ever been without a job. And I was in my 50s. That's an accomplishment to me. And so why should I have to have done the things that I've done to make my way in this world and make mistakes and pay for those mistakes and other people have their debts forgiven with the stroke of a pen by the president for some political ploy that even people in his own party are saying this is going to be an unmitigated disaster when it comes to inflation. And um, – it's just – it's sad that once again we are pitted against each other, that if I'm against this, then I'm – you know somehow I'm an elitist. No, the elitists are the ones that think you're entitled to an education. No, you're not entitled to anything. You earn everything you have, and it means more when you earn it. You're not entitled to anything, and this is just a sad state of affairs as far as I'm concerned. A very interesting story connected to 2020. The Arizona life expectancy has fallen in 2020. We're going to talk about what their statistics are and how far it's fallen and why it's doing it. It's all coming up. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum superstar Michael Buble is heading to the Footprint Center on September 20th for his higher tour. Limited tickets are still available, but you could win a pair by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com. Arizona life expectancy fell an extraordinary two and a half years in 2020. Uh, Arizona life expectancy fell, uh, posting one of the steepest drops in the nation and saw a sharp decline in lifespan since World War II. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report Tuesday said life expectancy in Arizona fell from 78.8 years to 76.3 years. Life expectancy fell 1.8 years uh, uh, nationwide. Um, it's just extraordinary to see that kind of drop in life expectancy. That's a quote from Will Humble, who is the executive director of the Arizona Public Health Association. All 50 states in the District of Columbia saw some decrease in life expectancy ranging from New York's drop of three years to Hawaii, which saw a 0.2 years drop in in life expectancy. Well, let's address this. I mean, I'm obviously I'm not an accountant, uh, so don't take my advice or I'm certainly not an economist. Don't take my economic and investing advice. And I'm no doctor. But look at what we've done during COVID, you know, the vaccines and no vaccines and masks and isolation. We've seen addiction go through the roof. We have seen um, relapse of addiction go through the roof, suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies, suicidal attempts. All of that has gone through the roof from isolation. Our kids are a lot more sedentary. They are all playing video games all the time. We're overweight. Obesity is one of the comorbidities that led to death from COVID-19. And we never addressed any of this. As a matter of fact, even when the CDC said the best place for you to be with COVID-19 is outdoors, not indoors, that it doesn't live outdoors nearly as well as it lives indoors, we shut down the parks. The parks in Phoenix were closed on Easter. They paid people that work in Phoenix overtime to block the driveways to the parks in Phoenix during COVID. Now, was that a reaction to COVID? Sure it was. Was it an overreaction? Absolutely. But if you look at what we've done, we don't preach physical fitness. Now it's about body image in this sense. If you're overweight, you can't say you're overweight because you give somebody a poor body image. Some people may need poor body image for the sake of their health. I'm not saying making fun of someone that's overweight. I'm saying a doctor saying to you, you need to lose some weight. That in order for your health, whether it leads to be you being diabetic or whatever it is, but we are not a healthy society. How much does health, how much does eating healthy play a role in this? Everything is processed foods. Um, our kids eat snacks all day. Um, it is expensive. We know it's getting more and more expensive to feed healthy foods to your family. But what's the priority? I'm lucky. I mean, I like to eat junk, too, but I like to eat healthy food. I'm a healthy eater. I love vegetables with the exception of lima beans. I like just about every vegetable except lima beans because I can't stand the texture. But I eat healthy. I cheat. I eat junk. I have potato chips in the house. You know, I do that. I eat mac and cheese once in a while. But I eat healthy. And I'm fortunate. I like to eat healthy. 
But our society watching life expectancy drop, it wasn't just COVID-19. It was the isolation that went along with it. It was the emotional uh, distress. It was the mental health things that happened. The addiction, you look at how many people in this country are dying from fentanyl and how many other synthetic and these weird drugs, methamphetamines, you know, and uh, watching when we were kids, it was people were smoking marijuana. There was LSD. There's always been things, but now we seem like we are inundated with it. It's everywhere. How do you think that the, that we're going to sustain life or at least grow in life? No matter what the medical advances are, people are killing themselves by what they're putting in their bodies and what they're allowing to happen to their mental health. It's sad that we're watching the life expectancy in a day and age where medical technology has advanced so much to see life expectancy drop. But unless you take care of your life, it's like a car. You know, if you don't take care of your car, it's going to die. Don't change the oil. Don't get the brakes done. Don't do the tune-ups. Don't do the things that are necessary in a vehicle and watch how it falls apart. If you maintain it the way it's supposed to be maintained, they run for a very long time. And instead of the CDC and other health organizations saying to young people, you need to be active, you need to exercise, you need to lose some weight, you need to do something for your mental well-being other than video games. You need to be emotionally connected to people. Your emotional well-being plays a big role in your overall health. And instead of preaching that, it's vaccines and lockdowns and masks and all this other stuff. What did you expect was going to happen? What did we think was going to happen to the life expectancy of human beings? It's just ludicrous. All right, I'm off my soapbox. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, California has some bold goals for climate change. What are they planning? I will tell you next.